Hey, Katie. Hi, Ben. So today we're talking about a paper and... Newspaper article. A news... Excuse me. Newspaper article. Very different. Um, The question, I guess, on everyone's mind is whether congratulations are in order for the author of this Mm. article. Cue the groan. Um, You are listening to Linear Digressions. Congratulations is my favorite way... (laughs) To congratulate Still someone when they graduate. <laughs> okay. Okay. My dog is so in my face right now. Oh. oh hello. She's like, pet me, pet me. <laughs> okay. I can say that again. Okay. Congratulations is my personal favorite way to congratulate someone when they graduate. <laughs> That's right. Is that your dog? <laughs> That's my dog. <laughs> Your dog's into this episode. She just like really, really wants to be in this episode. Oh. Just, she's like right up in my face right What's now. your dog's name again? Maybe. Your dog's name is Maybe? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, like the Arrested Development character. That's, that's good. That's oh, good. But if this were like a little bit less cute, I would even try to keep it. But she's just being so Oh, no. Right we, we have to keep this in. <laughs> Okay, well, <laughs> there might be some squeaks here, but I, th- I think we, I think we're finding an equilibrium. Okay, that uh, sounds good. Okay. All right, guest appearance by maybe the dog. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, this was a an article that was run in the New York Times uh, pretty recently in the last month or so, and I thought it was kind of interesting. It's it's on the topic of using big data and analytics to try to predict how likely people are to graduate. In particular, they were looking at, at college graduations, although I think that there's probably some common threads here that would apply to all levels of education. Now, I haven't read this article, but I also know that a lot of times when these kinds of topics are covered in the mainstream media, they're not necessarily as rigorous as, say, a scientific paper might be. Oh, I would say that is probably the case, yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, hopefully there's, I, I think that the scientific methods that were used here, I mean, we, we can have a, a discussion of like, whether we think that they were excellent and appropriate and always being interpreted correctly. Yeah. But you know, this is a, this is a piece of popular journalism. Um, it's not meant to be a, a scientific paper. Um, but that having been said, that makes it a little bit more readable. So you went yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, the, the more readable a paper is, the more I uh, question its validity of <laughs> Uh, sure. Well, I think that, that there are some like pretty interesting ideas here and, and the scientific details maybe will leave up to the reader. But the general idea is, uh, can we collect data about student grades and activities and all kinds of whatever you can imagine as, as being a type of data that you can collect about students and use that to predict graduation rates? Um, so colleges have a lot invested in making sure that their students are successful one of the biggest metrics of student success is whether students actually graduate and if they graduate on time. And so students, ha- or sorry, schools have a lot of incentive to try to figure out if students are struggling and try to help them early on with hopes of um, having more successful outcomes as a result of those interventions. Got it. Yeah, that was actually, uh, you just answered one of my first questions, which is who's collecting this data? Because uh, I, I imagine that most of the data that you generate when you're attending a university uh 
is not accessible to most entities. But if it's the school itself that's uh, gathering this information with the incentive of figuring out whether they can, you know, maybe even intervene if someone is looking like they're not going to graduate, uh, that makes it a lot more clear. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So students, so schools are, of course, already collecting this information in the sense that schools have grades, for example, and grades are one of the biggest predictors. Now, knowing exactly which grades are important and how to get some of that predictive juice out of the um, out of this analytics fruit, so to speak, that's not necessarily totally obvious. And we'll talk about some of the examples there. Mm. Um, but in addition to grade data, there's also, depending on the school, potentially data around student activities where they're going. I remember when I was in college and in grad school, there's this kind of ID card that you would get and it was your student ID and it was also the way you would swipe in and out of the dorms and it would be the way that you would get your meals and stuff like that. So you can imagine that depending on what kind of uh, data collection they have in those card readers, there's potentially a lot that the school could know about what a student is doing beyond just like how what grades they're getting it can be like where they're going and oh that's really interesting you know spending time with other people because they're getting swipes at the same time as as like in a big group and are they getting out of their dorm for lunch and stuff like this yeah or are they spending yeah are they spending a lot of time in the dorm room are they spending not very much time in their dorm room i mean I, i guess it kind of depends on what data you have to go off of right because like when i i attended uc santa cruz and we just had keys, right? So uh, the data would be there for when I eat meals uh, for the two years I was on a meal plan. Um, but aside from that, I don't think there would be all that much data on where I was on campus, but I, I'm sure that certainly some other universities will have uh, keyless entry kind of things, or that's not called keyless entry, the, the little um, beepy keys. Um, and, and those kinds of things that can be logged and maybe if you hook them into the right kinds of systems, you can aggregate that data and make uh, inferences or at least recognize patterns. Right. So it, it varies a lot sort of from institution to institution what we might be talking about here. But um, most of the most of the cases were looking at grades. That's the obvious place to start is something like if a student is getting poor grades in their first year, is that a poor sign for their graduation prospects in the long run? Because it's easy to see, you know, how there might be a connection there. Yeah, and for decades, we've been doing this just by kind of rolling everything into a GPA, like a grade point average. And then you say, okay, the higher your GPA is, probably the more likely you are to graduate because you're getting quote unquote good grades. But as far as I know, it, it hasn't been until recently that we've been looking at the grades individually and saying like, you know, maybe if you're taking a class on on throwing pots, it's not as weighty as, say, a higher level math class and your grades in that or something. You are taking the words out of my mouth a little bit here. So, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's great. So uh, you're, you're exactly right that like GPA might be the obvious place to start because it's kind of this clear metric. It's very easy to interpret. Um, but what they found when they dug into the data is that, at least in the cases that were cited in this article, GPA is not the most reliable predictor. It's actually, you need to drill down more to the class level and say for specific classes, there are specific classes that are bellwethers for whether people are going to have trouble in in the long run or not. And for exactly which classes these are, it, it varies depending, it sounds like, on uh, probably the, the school and 
in particular also the program that a student is in. So for example, one of the examples they gave was for nursing students. You might think that for nursing students, a good sign is if a student is getting good grades in their freshman like intro to nursing type classes, and that does matter. But the thing that matters a lot more is how they're doing in calculus. Uh, likewise, for other types of majors, things like history and writing are especially important. And so regardless of how you're doing in sort of the overall GPA big picture sense, uh, these are kind of the canary in the coal mine type courses that are actually much more predictive of the long run outcomes. That makes sense. It also makes sense that different uh, uh, different majors or specializations would have different canary in the coal mine type classes. Yeah, totally. So then the next set of examples that they were talking about then starts to get into the issue of interventions and are there things that we can do to help these students and uh, to increase the chances that they're going to graduate. And this is where it starts to get a little bit trickier to understand you know, exactly some of the scientific intricacies. This is getting very quickly at the heart of correlation and causation. Mm. So one of the examples is that there is a software program that they talk about in this article. It's kind of like a um, an advising some advising software that is automatically taking a look at the programs or the courses the students are enrolling in. It's making course recommendations. It's making sure that they're actually enrolling in like the right version of a certain course to actually fulfill their major requirements. Maybe giving recommendations about courses that need to be retaken. The thought being that if there's some of this advising software in place to help students guide their uh, their educational trajectory with a little bit more finesse, uh, that maybe then students will you know have some more guidance and they'll they'll feel more supported. They'll have better outcomes. And indeed, they find that students who use this software do in general have better outcomes. But it's really hard to say whether that's because of the software, at least based on the the evidence that's in this article. Because a very so one of the stories is yeah the software is doing a great job, and it's helping students navigate their their educations more effectively. An alternative explanation that also makes a lot of sense is that if you are a student who's particularly invested in your education, or you're very you're very diligent, you're very conscientious then this is a good sign for your overall long-term prospects. You're more likely to graduate if you're that type of student. And you're also more likely to use these types of resources like the advising software. And so the advising software itself isn't really changing anything about the outcome. It's just sort of a a flag of a certain type of student who has sort of all these other things that are going on for them. Right. So basically the, the causal link is between something else and both the software and the graduation rather than the software causes you to graduate more exactly exactly and so i think that you know there's there's the possibility of knowing the answer to this question the thing that you really need is like an experiment like a randomized control trial where you have half of your students who are given the advising software and maybe Mm -hmm. are told that they have to use it or they're given a very strong incentive to use it Um, And then there's another half of the students who are not given that option or they're given some sort of, you know, control, uh, some software, but that isn't isn't meant to, like, really help in this particular way. Mm. And that situation gets perhaps ethically tenuous really quickly. Uh, Also, that's just difficult to do. Right. It's like you have to set up this experiment and you actually have to, to find a way to run it 
in a controlled way, but also like if you have a strong in, uh, if you have a strong reason to believe that the software might be effective, then what you're basically doing is you are cannibalizing half of your students' education uh, prospects. Assuming that it is effective, you're basically saying, yeah, half of the students are not allowed to do as well. And that feels a little bit sketchy. Uh, I mean, especially in this day and age, you have those experiments, those kinds of experiments being run constantly by all of the large companies, um, whether it's Google or Facebook or Apple or, or, or Amazon, or uh, you see this a lot in the web space. But when you're talking about a student's entire education, that feels like the stakes are a lot higher. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, how much experimentation is acceptable is, I think, a, a really, it's a hard question. And, and there's other fields that have grappled with this exact question, too. Medical research is full of the, <laughs> the oh, exact yeah. same issue. Um, so a lot of smart people have thought about this a lot. Um, but, yeah, I agree that, um, you know, putting these tools into the hands of educators and administrators and researchers um, you know, is potentially giving them a, a set of capabilities that they haven't had to think about before, and there's responsibility and ethics questions that are attached to that. A related question that I had as I was thinking about this is sometimes uh, in certain situations, you can imagine that it might actually be advantageous to a school for a student to drop out earlier, let's say, and rather than sticking around and like dropping out in their third year so maybe the thing that the school cares about might be some combination of like whether students drop out at a particular rate and how much debt they have when they drop out so it's to the school's oh. advantage to like encourage students to if it if it's looking like there's really no good chance for the student to graduate or a very low probability for the school to basically <laughs> there's, there's this phrase that's like kind of terrible but was in this article called drown the bunnies um, oh no which is yeah i know <laughs> no that's not okay <laughs> i'd much rather use the phrase uh tell the students to cut their losses <laughs> but i think that you know this first of all i think that it there's there's a pretty compelling argument to be made for you know being realistic about the the options of a student if it just doesn't look like there's a good chance for a student to be graduating i think you can make the argument that it's overall a service to that to that student to not uh, string them along for tens of thousands of dollars before they find yeah. that out. On the other hand, I think that like the ethical implications of this are are even bigger. Like there's huge problems with in particular the the one that I was thinking about is discrimination. Like I bet that there's mm. um, you know significant gender factors, there's racial factors, there's socioeconomic factors that are working against certain types of students and and those students have lower probabilities of graduating from these programs because they're historically disadvantaged. And it's really easy for me to see how programs, if you're not careful, could pick up those kinds of features, even if even if you don't mean them to, yeah. even if they aren't even directly fed into the model sometimes. That's my dog. And uh, and then you have a really nasty problem where you're maybe you know telling your minority students that they should leave your program or something that is that's mm -hmm. i don't think that's a world that we probably want to live in yeah absolutely and and we've had a lot of we this has come up in a lot of our podcasts and and um some of our episodes we've specifically focused on how do you make uh, a model or an algorithm that doesn't accidentally have baked in 
the uh, tendency to discriminate that humans generally have. Yeah, and and I think the verdict of those episodes is that it's really hard and yeah. borderline impossible, depending on what it is you're looking for. Uh, yeah, to, it's impossible to, 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 to solve. Yeah, yeah, it's it's impossible to solve the problem. It is possible to mitigate the problem, but it's very hard to mitigate it substantially. Yeah, and and it takes a fair amount of of pretty detailed knowledge and and finesse with your particular situation to know the way that you might want to do that. And and so the idea that these tools are in their early days in the educational field makes me think that that there's a good chance that the people who are using these tools, you know, is haven't haven't had a chance to maybe always think about them enough to be careful about this. I'm speculating a lot here. I I don't want to like throw people under the bus and say that there's no way that that these tools couldn't be doing any good. Because um, I think that, like I said, there is probably a lot of benefit from trying to use data to, to make smarter decisions, but just that right. it's, it's such a minefield. Um, right. And then the last thing that I think is kind of interesting, uh, another question that I don't have the answer to, is whether I think it's uh, something that a student should have access to if, if a school is running software like this or doing predictive analytics or modeling on the students based on things like the students, you know, moving around campus or their grades. Like if I were a student in that situation, would I would I feel like I had a right to know what that model was predicting about me? Do, would I feel like it would be in general in my best interest to know um, if that answer is like not a positive answer mm-hmm. or if it is a positive answer either way, I could imagine that kind of affecting the way that I thought about my education and making me self-conscious or overconfident or you know whatever else in a way that wouldn't actually be very good for me yeah it's it's one of those situations where by observing you are changing yep and i don't think that there's a way around that but i also think that we have at least some idea around here that we should own some of this data that is taken about us, um, you know, like there, there are much stronger rules around this in, for yeah. example, healthcare and like medical data, for example, where that's personal data that to some extent belongs to the patient. Um, I don't know that, that the norms are quite as strong around educational data. Um, I, I'm not a huge expert in it, so I can't really say one way or another, but my guess is that, you know, they're not maybe quite as well developed as medical data. It's, it's not as far along and we haven't been taking lots of educational data for as long and it's not as rich and you know obviously sensitive and that people have thought about this a lot so i don't know that there's that there's a good answer here but yeah it's tricky that actually reminds me of the question of if you do something like 23andme and you get uh information on like where your ancestors are from and whether you can smell asparagus when you pee and like all that kind of stuff like can if if you're if the information that they gather if they get if they get information about uh what certain kinds of diseases or uh, issues you're prone to you know do you do you have are you entitled to that knowledge if they have it and if you get that knowledge how will it affect your life there are a lot of people who say i don't really want to know you know so yeah i think it's a really hard question i think the technology is sort of surpassed the ethics in some ways we have capabilities of things that we don't know if we want to if we really yeah. want to be capable of them but but we are yeah it's a hard question and i don't know the answer um i think it's 
maybe a little bit less loaded when you're talking about educational data, maybe a little bit less loaded than, than healthcare data, but like, I don't know, <laughs> it, it, it starts to get really complicated really fast. Yeah. Do you have so, any other things you want to talk about? Because no. I, I did Google something. Mm-hmm. I Googled whether bunnies can swim. Can they? Uh, they generally do not like to. That's but like they my dog. Can. She hates but the they water. Can. Yeah, so so bunnies can swim, so you're probably not going to drown the bunnies. So that, that makes me feel a bit better. I'm glad you share that. I feel a little bit better now, too. Nice. Linear Digressions is a creative commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.